Chapter Twenty of One Commonplace Day by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. One of the Hopeless Cases. She came over to him the moment the meeting closed, her eyes still shining, her voice tremulous with suppressed feeling. Mr. Cleveland, do you mean all that you seemed to say? Do you think no one is hopeless utterly? I believe it from my soul, all that I said, and all that I seemed to say. I believe that we have no right to single out any human being, and say of him, This is a hopeless case. We recognize the folly of such judgments even while we speak, and are apt to qualify our words by adding, Humanly speaking, it is hopeless. Humanly speaking, all cases are hopeless but in the sight of God those may be near the rock who seem to us the most hopeless. So, Miss Hartzell, don't you allow yourself for one moment to limit the power and the grace of a Saviour. Remember, he is mighty to save. He was thinking all the time of John Hartzell. He had been thinking of him all the evening, praying for him, planning for him. That man hopeless, with his shapely head, which told him of dormant brain power young still, and strong physically. What folly to think of him as hopeless. "'Well, then,' said Kate, her voice eager, "'I claim you. I ask you to pray in faith and in hope for my father. Will you?' "'For her father?' Old Joe Hartzell, broken in body and in mind, shattered beyond hope of recovery, apparently. He had not thought of the father. All his plans had been centred on the son. Would his logic fit that weak, grey-haired old man, who had been drinking steadily for so many years? The daughter was watching him. Yes, he said firmly, I will pray for him. He did not say with what degree of faith. When you said, No man can fall so low that I cannot pray and work, hopefully, for him, because he may be the one who is to show us the power of God in the world, I thought at once of father, and it seemed to me you must mean him. He has fallen very low. I want to make a confession, Mr. Cleveland. He has seemed hopeless to me. In all my recent plans and efforts, I find I have meant John and not father. I have looked upon him as one who was impossible even for God to save. It looks dreadful to me to-night that I ever could have thought so. I thank you for your words more than I can express. They have opened my eyes. I will never put him aside as hopeless again. But I said to myself that it must be such as you, who had always honored God with strong faith, whose prayers he would hear. I want you to pray for my father. As she turned away, Mr. Cleveland said to himself that he would go home and go on his knees, and ask God for faith enough to bring old Joe Hartzell to the one who was mighty to save. He would not say to the daughter now that he, too, it seemed, was limiting that mighty power. Kate laid her hand on Miss Wainwright's arm. "'Will you pray for my father?' This was all she said. "'For your father?' said Miss Wainwright, startled. "'I thought it was for your brother.' "'It is both of them. You will not leave father out? Say you will not, Miss Wainwright, because I have done it. I have felt until to-night that he was almost hopeless. Well, said Miss Wainwright, I will try. I don't know your father. I shall have to find him out and do for him if I take him. I can't pray for a person at arm's length, never could. 
unless something beyond my reach kept us apart. We will do our best. Working and praying go together. And that reminds me. Did you mean you had gone down there to live altogether? How do you manage it? There can't be much money coming in. I have a trade, said Kate, with faltering lips. She was being brought back suddenly to the hard realities of the life she had assumed. I have been taught the dressmaker's trade. I thought if, after a while, I could get some work to do, it would help. Miss Wainwright nodded, a gleam of light in her gray eyes. Just so, she said. Things are bound to match in this world a great deal better than you have any idea of when you begin to bungle at them. I was thinking of that poor mother and the children she has left. They need clothes of all sorts, dresses and everything else, and I dare say there are plenty of others who do. I'm not worth much at sewing, never was. I can't sit still long enough to accomplish anything. But I'll tell you what I can do, pay other people for their work. We'll have a partnership. I'll furnish material and pay for the work, and some of those poor things will do the wearing. I begin to see daylight. Kate could only smile in answer. She would not have trusted her voice just then. Miss Wainwright's ways of working were peculiar, certainly. Meantime, the other workers in this drama of life were in the usual state of unconsciousness as to how they were to fit in. To Holly Copeland, the evening began in disappointment. You will possibly remember that he was to have accompanied Mildred to the temperance prayer meeting. He came to her with troubled face a little before the hour of meeting. So sorry he was. His face and voice showed this as well as words. Father had been sent for to go out of town, and there were two packages of medicine, with directions, both of which must be delivered at once, and the people lived as far away from Miss Wainwright's as they well could, and he must be the messenger. Mildred was sympathetic. Sorry not to have his company, but he must not mind, since he had so important a duty calling him in another direction. She might see some of her friends passing and join them, but if not, it was all right. Miss Wainwright would see that it was an excellent excuse for them both. "'What is that?' said Dr. Copeland from his office. "'Were you going to Miss Wainwright's? I shall drive past her place in about twenty minutes.' I can drop you there and call for you on my return. I shall not be later than nine o'clock. So Mildred and the doctor rode away in comfort, the latter well pleased with his cheery companion, and Holly had trudged away, whistling, to keep back his disappointment. He was fond of Mildred, he had liked the idea of being her escort, and he had liked the idea of meeting Kate Hartzell, who would be sure to be at the prayer meeting but there was no help for it now. This long walk alone must be taken. His errands were faithfully done, and he was returning from them, whistling still. He had just settled in his mind that it would not be polite to walk down to Miss Wainwright's for Mildred, when his father had promised to call for her, since it was quite too late to think of making attendance at the meeting an excuse for coming. Probably Mildred would rather ride than walk with a little boy like him. He was just passing Jim Moxon's saloon. It was brightly lighted, and behind the closely drawn curtains came sounds of loud voices and coarse laughter. "'I think they need to pray,' said Holly to himself in indignation. "'I wonder if John Hartzell is there. That is the saloon he goes to most. 
awful place i don't know what poor kate can do i wish i were a man i know that i'd find a way to help seems to me what was that the door opened suddenly a flood of light streamed out on the dark alley a dark object seemed for a moment to swing in the air and then land heavily on the sidewalk at the same instant a heavy boot was drawn within the saloon and the door was closed again holly stopped whistling something or somebody had been kicked out and lay there in the gutter could it be a man he came all trembling with indignation and excitement and bent over the thing he touched it and it moved and groaned slightly yes it was a man a very dim light from a street lamp on the corner below revealed so much to his earnest gaze whoever it was he had hit his head on the sharp stones of the sidewalk and blood was trickling down his face holly uttered an exclamation of horror what if the poor fellow should die out there in the ditch the street was unusually quiet he was surrounded by saloons should he dare to appeal to any of them for help a wagon rattled by he knew the whistle of the driver jake he shouted hello jake won't you stop and help me they have kicked a man out of moxon's and he is hurt kicked a man out said the teamster in astonishment stopping his horses and getting down from his wagon what did they do that for he ain't hurt is he only dead drunk you can't hurt a drunkard much easier than you can a log of wood his face is bleeding said holly and he groaned when i touched him then both bent over the prostrate form jake with eyes more accustomed to the darkness peered steadily for a moment then raised himself to an upright position and said i'm blessed if it ain't old joe himself come to this at last i expected it afore now not old joe hartzell you don't mean him there was more than dismay in holly's voice it had an undertone of genuine pain it's old joe hartzell as sure as you live i'd know his gray head in a darker night than this holly actually groaned what would kate do now then he thought rapidly how could he help her if it's old joe he said eagerly let's get him home i know where he lives kate will want him brought home i am sure oh jake you will help me won't you why land said jake i don't know as we had ought to he was kicked out you say this is a case for the police he might be hurt bad you know and we might get ourselves into a muss i ought to be home at this minute with the team but holly interrupted him with eagerness oh no jake don't let us have him taken to the lock-up it isn't so very far to where he lives i know his sister and she's a nice girl a grand good girl jake she has gone home to live just to help them and try to reform her father reform her father echoed jake with something between a giggle and a sneer i'd as soon undertake to reform a brandy flask you don't know jake kate will try anyhow and i promised to help and i know she would want him brought home you see she is the kind of girl who would be sure to want it and father will come down and see him if he is hurt i know he will oh jake do let us lift him into your wagon without losing any more time i will pay you i have fifty cents of my own i was saving it for christmas but i don't care anything about christmas if we can only get this poor old man safe home sho said jake 
Who said anything about being paid? I didn't. If I'd do it at all, I'd do it for decency's sake quicker than I would for fifty cents, I can tell you. I'd do it for you anyhow, I suppose, only I don't know about its being the thing to do. But he stooped over the burden, and lifted it with strong arms, unmindful of the groans or of the fact that other passers-by had stopped curiously. "'What's the matter?' one man asked, pushing among the crowd of boys who were gathering. "'Oh, Jake!' said Holly, in an eager whisper. "'Don't let him stop you.' "'I reckon not,' said Jake. "'Just you step into that there saloon, mister, and find out what is the matter if you can. I'm blessed if we know.' unless they got sick of some of their customers and pitched them out, it looks like it. Whereupon Jake's heavy wagon rattled over the road, and old Joe's unconscious head reposed on Holly Copeland's strong young arm. Arrived at the house on the flats, all was dark and still, but a wondering neighbor lent the flame of one sickly lamp with which to lighten the scene, and with great effort the old man was lifted to the bed, nothing more forlorn and poverty-stricken than that poor bed had ever met holly copeland's gaze he did not know what a transformation it had undergone since kate took possession of the room he could not conceive of poverty deeper than this which surrounded him now he looked about him with a sort of fascinated terror taking it all in at a glance his face growing almost manly in its sternness the idea of such a place as this being kate hartzell's home this means rum he said turning to jake and giving a significant bend of his head which was meant to cover all the surroundings yes said jake i reckon it does he spoke gravely enough but not with the tone of dismay which marked holly's speech he was more used to scenes like these than the boy was moreover he was one of the victims of rum he had a bottle half filled with brandy in his pocket at this moment, and though he had not the least idea of ever reaching old Joe's state, he could not help remembering that the two rooms in which his wife and three children waited for him had very few comforts, and the difficulty was rum. "'It is mean stuff,' he volunteered at last. "'I wish there wasn't a drop of it in the world.' "'You do!' astonishment on Holly's part." ay that i do i've always said it i wish to the land i had never tasted it and couldn't never taste it again and yet you are a man and can vote there was an entire temperance lecture in this half sentence jake felt it he had heard of this question before and he was acquainted with people who talked one way and voted another but the boy holly evidently was not he was young enough still to believe that what people actually wished they worked for. Jake turned away, a half-smile on his face at the cuteness of the boy, then gave his attention to the matter at hand. The question is, what is to be done here? That old fellow will die unless something is done for him, maybe, though I don't believe it. He has too much whiskey aboard. I guess that is about all that ails him. Holly turned in distress. I don't know what to do next, he said. If my father knew it, he would come at once. It must be almost time for Kate to come. She would know what to do. I might wait until she came, only there's mother. I'll tell you, Jake, don't you pass our house going home? Would you mind stopping and telling mother I'm all right, and am staying with a sick man a little while? 
and then leave word for father to come down here as soon as he gets home. That will be the way. You'll do it, won't you, Jake? And what will you do? Stay here alone with the old fellow? How will you like that? Of course, said Holly, with a lofty toss of his head. I shan't mind. Kate will be home in a few minutes, I guess. So Jake went away, telling the boy with his last admiring glance that he was a brick. However, Holly was not left long alone. The woman who had lent the lamp was the one whose baby had been laid away so recently. She had tender thoughts of the girl who had come from this house. As soon as she could leave the youngest little girl, she hastened over to see if the old man was really hurt or only drunk. That was the way she put it, and Holly, indignant, said, I should think that that would be enough. The woman stared. It is more than enough, she said drearily, but if you lived on the flats, you would get used to that. End of chapter 20